The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and uh, this is my second show of 2016, and I'm very excited that it followed Rich Sheridan. If you didn't listen to that show, I would encourage everybody to go back and listen to it. Rich is uh, was the author of the book Joy, Inc., and he is the CEO of Menlo Innovation, and the lessons that he had spelled out of how he organized his company to really bring joy to people at work. And he articulated something that was really, uh, he articulated a number of things that were really important. But the need to end human suffering in uh, software use was really his whole purpose. And it was an organizing principle for him and how he pulled his organization together. So go back and listen to it. It was a, it was a great great show and a lot of lessons I think that we can carry forward to 2016 and how we structure our workplaces. Which leads me to my next guest, Lee Elias, uh, who I just ran into recently through uh, Soundview Executive Summaries. And if you don't get Soundview, you should because they have great books summarized for people to see and lessons to learn from it. He's, his credentials are rooted in sports, marketing, and management. And what I loved about Lee is the book that he wrote, Think Like a Fan, which really helps you think through how you can get real brand loyalty by treating your customers like fans. He's worked with organizations such as the National Hockey League, NBC, Hearst Media, uh, the A&E, Madison Square Gardens, among a number of others. He's currently living in the U.K. with his wife, Janet, a doctor in the Air Force. And he has a two-year-old son in early Jan... Uh, in, he had a two-year-old son who turns two in early February. Boy, that was a mouthful. I really walked all <laughs> over that. <laughs> his book was co-written with his friend, Stacy Granera. Um, it recently, the book recently won two North American awards for best leadership and management book and in the sports category. His second book, Win What Every Team Needs to Know to Create a Championship Culture, will be released very soon. And I want to explore that with you uh, a little bit. So tell me your story. How did you get started in this, Lee? Uh, hey, Linda. First of all, it's great to be here. Thanks for that wonderful 
introduction. Um, the the think like a fan ethos began actually when I was doing my masters. Um, I remember I was sitting doing a response question one night, and the question was about how to engage uh, fans in a sports arena. And I realized that there was this whole untapped kind of uh, question that needed to be answered of how to do that. So I actually took that response and I turned it into my final thesis, um, which was called at the time uh, Sports City. And it was based on how sports teams can reach out to their fans digitally uh, to increase their interaction and fan base um, and really the overall experience. Um, when I started writing this thesis, I had no intention of turning it into a book, <laughs> uh, but it received such high praise from uh, the head of my school and my professors that they said, you should really turn this into a book proposal because there's already over 100 pages um, and send it out. So I did just that. And I remember that uh, we sent it to a couple publishers um, and th there was some mild interest, which was flattering to me. That would have been enough. Uh, <laughs> from some actually large book companies, but none of them took a bite out of it. They said that the, uh, it just was too academic. Um, and then the final, the final publisher, when I say final, I really mean I was at the point with it, not in a negative way, but I was like, I'll, I'll send it to one more person. And if it doesn't get picked up, it's just not meant to be. It's, you know, I was going to get my master's not to write a book. Right. Um, the last one I sent it to it, was it Aloha It's not academic though, uh, Lee. When you read the book, it's very, very readable. Yeah, well, <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, what happened was that that's exactly what I was heading with this is that Aloha Publishing had read it uh, and they got back to me the same day and they had said that if we can make this more readable, uh, not less academic and more readable, uh, it's, it would be a great book. Um, and that's the process that took almost a year of me rewriting it in, in a voice that you read it in and that other people have read it in. Uh, and I really appreciate that compliment because that, actually that's the that's the number one thing people say to me is that it's written in a way that it's easy to read and you you've helped us understand something that is not easily to, uh, understandable. Uh, right. But that was that was the the journey of it. Yeah, it was it's it's a it's a remade <laughs> master's thesis into a book form. Yeah, you know, I ought to look at uh, my dissertation because, you know, you're forced to write in academic terms <laughs> when you're in school like that. But absolutely. Um, uh, but the lessons from it are, are are really incredible. So tell me something. You, how have you used Think Like a Fan approach to help businesses succeed? That's a great question. You know, the, the first time I used it was with uh, the team here, the Peterborough Phantoms, which is an ice hockey team in the UK. Um, and they were they were I wouldn't say a failing organization, but their attendance was down. The team was not very good. Uh, and I was invited in to speak with them, and they asked the question of how are we going to bring people into this building. And I, I remember the game, there was a game going on, and I pointed out the window to the fans, which was only about two to 300 people. And I said, that's your answer right there. And they said, what do you mean that they can't stand us right now? We're so bad. I said, I said, if they're talking about you, even if it's negative, they're passionate about you. And we just need to turn that passion uh, into a power that's going to make them invite people. Um, and over the course of six months, uh, we reinvented the team brand. We reinvented the voice of the team and we invited these two to 300 people just to share their love of the team. Um, and we gave them uh, ways of doing that through social media and other digital means. And by the end of the season, uh, we were at full capacity every single night. Um, and ironically, the team is, is extremely good now. The team is in first place as of now and won a championship last year. So that only helped to amplify our efforts. But um, that's, that's the best example how a, a, a bottom-of-the-table team could all of a sudden be one of the top fan bases in the team just by using the passion of the fan base. 
And, you know, it strikes me, uh, Lee, when you're talking about this, that, you know, when the team itself feels like it's down and out and the fans don't care about them or they're grumbling about them, you know, that permeates the team's attitude. But when they start feeling like people really care, they're more connected, they're more loyal, and they win as a result. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it affects people on all levels, you know, and, and I have this unique kind of mix where I work in sports and outside of sports. But I can tell you that uh, through the tactics that we use, you know, an identity was built um, that really transferred to the team. Uh, all of a sudden, the team had this uh, this roots. It had this foundation and the players could start to believe in that. Um, and it infiltrated the organization on literally every level from the ownership to the players to the fans. Um, and now it's one of the celebrated organizations within that league. Uh, so it's, it's a beautiful thing that happened. And again, I, I mean, uh, I, I love to say that I'm involved in it. And obviously the stuff in the book helped, but I mean, a lot of people work together uh, to make this happen. And it, it's been a wonderful experience. So, you know, tell me, how did you and Stacy discover the concepts uh, that you talk about and think like a fan? Well, you know, Stacy and I, both graduated from uh, undergrad probably at the turn of the, you know, of the century, around 2004, 2005. And marketing was very different at that time. Facebook and social media was just starting um, in terms of it was in colleges at the time. It wasn't really out to the general public. And at that time, marketing was very in your face about what we can do. Here's what you should do. Buy our product. And we started to kind of understand that there's this philosophy that wasn't there, that these advertisers are not speaking with us. They're speaking at us. And all of a sudden, we had this philosophy of you need to speak with your audience and not at your audience. And this is still a mistake that a lot of, in my opinion, advertisers make today. Um, And that concept sprouted and turned into the entire book of we wanted to teach advertisers, teach businesses, teach anybody how to speak with your audience in a non-condescending way. And through that, we found that a lot of things can happen. You can become an industry leader with your audience. You can become a trusted individual in these people's homes, Um, much more than just selling something. Another concept in the book is uh, actually something that Simon Sinek, another uh, wonderful author, says a lot. You know, people don't buy so much what you're selling. It's it's you. It's they want to know more about you. Um, And we discovered that when we taught companies how to have a voice, whether that be digitally or in real life, and really speak with people, it got a dramatically different response than the companies that weren't doing that. And things like trust and authenticity, uh, these words start to creep in now that are incredibly important to earning the loyalty, as you said at the beginning of the show, of these people. And the book, again, started also because there's probably not a better uh, – world out there for this than the sports world. People are so diehard into their sports teams that they can do no wrong. And we started to sprinkle a little bit of that into it and create the idea that, you know, these are not consumers. These are not even customers. These are fans of your brand. And when you start to develop that and you start to talk to people like that, um, everything starts to grow dramatically. So that's, that's a great piece. And that's, you have a whole chapter on this speak with not at your audience. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I, that the redefining marketing you know, from from really advertising and speaking at people. So how do you speak with your audience? How do you do that? That's a great question. You know, the first thing we, we, we talk about is to create the voice that I was alluding to. 
Um, and it's so important that companies understand that there's a big difference. I own two companies. I'll use myself as an example. I don't approach people as my company. I approach people as Lee so that they know that they're speaking with a human being. That's the first step is I would say, don't be afraid to humanize your organization. The other thing we do, and I talked about this with the Phantoms a little bit, is we, we provide our audience with ways to interact. We invite them. Please talk to us on social media. Please feel free to email us. We want to hear back from you. That's number one. Uh, we create things for them to share. We create pieces of branding uh, for the Phantoms. We made one that said, I'm going to the game tonight. Will you come with me? And we asked people to tag their friends in them. Um, so a lot of it is also using, uh, I shouldn't use the word using actually, it's, it's inviting your audience to participate and keeping everybody on that that even plane. Hold that thought. We are at break and we're going to talk about the rest of the points that you have coming down the pike, uh, on how you speak with your audience. These are great, great tips and I really want to give it the time to explore. So stay with us. We're taking a quick break. I'm talking to Lee Elias. The author of Think Like a Fan, invest in your fans so they invest in you. Stay with We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. And with me today is Lee Elias. And we're having a great conversation. He uh, owns several companies. He's 32 years old. And when you listen to the great thoughts that he has and experience and the things that he's done, you, 
I kind of wonder where I was at 32, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressively. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> we were talking about how you speak with your audience. And I just want to add a prelude to this. If, uh, Lee, if you didn't listen to uh, last week's show with um, Richard Sheridan, you really should, because one of his premises was as well that software is so much used to be developed not for the customer or to delight the customer, but really for software people. And, you know, to get people to use it, they'd have to write books like Tech for Dummies or, you know, Microsoft for Dummies or whatever the, the, the application was instead of using the approach that you're articulating. So you talked about, you know, uh, that be human, create ways to interact, create things to share. What else can you do to speak with your customers to create, to help them become fans? You know, I'll use the metaphor again of sports teams because that's kind of the foundation of the book. And you, you just said it, the word fans. And, you know, when we, when we think about sports teams, you know, we all know someone who's in love with a sports team that can tell you the entire history of a sports team and every big play and every big player. And they're, they're, it's almost blind loyalty in a lot of ways. And I feel like that can be in some ways recreated with a business or an entity. And the way you do that is to create a mission or a message or a goal set uh, that people can relate to. So with all of the businesses I'm involved with, whether I run them or I, I, I consult, we're very clear that they need to make a very set and open message that people can read and find that's goal-orientated, that this is who we are, this is what we do, and this is why we do it, so that people can find that and share that. That's the foundation of the first thing, of, of, of creating fans. And then again, we said this, you cannot see consumers and customers as just dollar signs. They have to be more than that. Uh, most businesses will tell you that retention is the number one way that revenue comes in. So if, if you're interested in growing a fan base, you have to treat them like fans because in essence, they are fans of your entity, of your business, of your company. Um, the other thing too is we always say evolve your marketing into more modern methods of marketing and communication. The conversation today online is not from me to you. It's from you to me to companies to back to me. It's all over the place. Uh, that's something, and it's, it is a luxury that we're afforded with modern social media and modern marketing in the digital age. And I feel that a lot of companies are more so, uh, you know, dare I say it, afraid of that because it's not the way it's been for the last hundred years. Um, it dramatically changed in the course of just a decade, and it, and it continues to change all the time. And you have to have the ability to evolve with it. Even I, in some of my businesses, uh, sometimes a new technology will sprout up or a new social media, and it frustrates me. And I have to tell myself to follow my own advice, and you, I need to learn this because people are on this. And, and uh, I also need to be willing to, to do away with an old method of communication if it's not popular anymore, if it's not relevant anymore. Yeah, that goes back to your point about embrace change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're stuck in your way. So t tell me a little bit about embracing change. Yeah, so, again, what I'll go back to a story when I was working. I used to work in Florida for Hearst Media. And I remember that when I had started working there, my job was to introduce digital solutions to companies. And my pitch at the time was very uh, – this is why you need it. It's great. It costs this much. Uh, you know, it's, it's obvious. It's obvious why you need this. 
And I learned very quickly that it is obvious as it was to me why Google is important. It wasn't obvious to a lot of business owners, especially some who had been in business 30, 40 years. So I changed everything I was doing to, to educate people. So 90% of what I spoke about uh, turned into literally educating people about why Google is important and why social media is important and why these communication devices are imperative to your business staying alive. Well, when I did that, everything changed. Uh, not only did I get a lot of business from it, but people thanked me. I mean, they, they went out of their way. Like I, I've been waiting for someone to explain this to me. Um, and there's a common saying, you're afraid of what you don't know. Right. And right. that's when I realized that, you know, I grossly underestimated how many people really understood technology. And, and again, it's my own fault. I mean, I, I grew up with it. It was something that was around me all the time. And, that, you know, as you said, I'm 32. It's easy for somebody 10 years ago to not realize that someone who's 42 or 52 doesn't have the same grip on that. So, yeah, well, now you're getting close. Hey, you know, you're, you're cutting into my territory there. <laughs> making me a little well, you're nervous. Do, you're doing a, a webcast. It's beautiful what you're doing. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I do think it's true. Um, so how do you show it? Be who you are and show it. How do you show, you know, you talk about, and we all talk about, you know, we've been talking about for years because I'm a lot older than you, about being an authentic leader. How do you show that authenticity? Well, you know, one of the things that I like to say about businesses is a lot of a lot of people say that no one cares about what I do, and I say that if that was true, then then you wouldn't be in business. Uh, so there's always a an audience for what you do, and tapping into that audience is the first step, and that involves going online, maybe finding groups or finding places where your audience exists. All right? Once you've established that, just be yourself. Literally, be yourself. And, and go out there and, and share your points and share your thoughts on where your business is going, where your industry is going. Um, the other side of authenticity is to be truthful. And this is where I think that a lot of corporations can have a hard time because marketing for so long, <clears throat> excuse me, was based on not lying, but just getting certain points across, maybe not saying yeah, shaping, everything. The, shaping the that, story to make it look good. Exactly. Right? Uh, the best example right. would be uh, in, in the book, we have some ads about the past where, you know, at one point doctors would sell cigarettes saying that it helps strengthen your lungs or that uh, it's okay for babies to drink soda or wrapping babies in cellophane is okay because the stock brings the baby. You know, again, they're half truths. And the problem is we're living in an era now where we have unlimited access to unlimited information. So if someone wants to find out if you're telling the truth or not, it's very easy to do. And there's always someone who's looking to find a gotcha moment. So right. I would say tell people the truth. If, if, if you mess up on something and it, and it gets out there, explain the situation. Maybe even apologize and explain it. Be authentic. Because what I find is that people uh, at least perceive that as much better than a company that lies and ignores it. Uh, the, the equivalent is this, and, and I, I've said this in several uh, presentations, is that in today's world, if someone speaks to you, and you don't respond, it's the equivalent of being in a room of crowded people where everybody just watched that interaction take place and you just ignored them. <laughs> and you can't yeah. afford to do that. Right, right, right. It is kind of daunting, though. I mean, that, that's one of the things that's really changed in the world today is that, you know, people, no matter where they are in the world, if they have access to the Internet, they can find out what's really going on in ways that they never were able to do 20 years ago. Exactly. You know, you could manage the message much more so than 20 years ago than you can now. 
And now with transparency, you know, you've, it, it, it's sad the way it almost is forcing people to be more truthful, like Volkswagen, for example. Yeah. You know, so you say there's no such thing as good publicity. Yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> Obviously, that's it's the play on the pun that there's no such thing as bad publicity. And right. one of the things that that we found was that uh, businesses only wanted to listen to good publicity online, whether it be a review or an outcome. <clears throat> and uh, the, what we found is that it's actually more important to respond to negative reviews today than good reviews. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the people listening have had this experience. Maybe you're trying to go to a restaurant. Um, and you look up a review online. Well, if there's 15 good reviews and five bad reviews, you're probably not going to look at just the good reviews. You're going to go right to the bad reviews. <laughs> and right. it's so important that you respond to negative reviews. So if somebody, example, if someone goes on and said that the food was horrendous, it is so important today that that business go online and write, we are so sorry that you had a negative time. Please come in and speak with us. Let us know how we can do better. Because people perceive that as, well, you know, that person had a bad time, but at least the company's trying to do something. Um, if you have five reviews of your product of anything, that uh, it's, they're just horrendous and you've never responded, well, consumers are going to trust other consumers no matter how good you, you feel that you look. Um, and that's the play on the words is that it's actually more important to respond to negative reviews than positive reviews. With that said, you should share as many positive reviews as you can. You should never just let them sit around in cyberspace. I mean, get them, publish them, show them to people, but also pay attention to the, to the negative publicity too. Um, at the end of the day, all publicity is there for you. It's all an opportunity. Uh, don't shun off your negative review. That's an opportunity for you to connect with your audience. Yeah, I, I, th that's really true. And I do notice uh, when I go to, um, uh, what's that? Um, oh, you know, that rates restaurants and places. And I do see a lot of people saying, well, thank you for the review. And, you know, I really appreciate you pointing this out to us, and here's what we've done. Um, and it, it does affect my feeling about the organization, that's for sure. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you see as the biggest game changers in the workplace going forward? That's a great question. You know, I'll tell you, one of them is, is very elusive, and it's just having to keep up with the changes on social media um, or digitally. Facebook is so different today than it was 10 years ago, and Twitter is different. Instagram has become a major player. You look at something like Snapchat, which was almost a joke three years ago, has become an extremely popular social media channel. So the, the toughest thing by far at this point is keeping up with the trends, and it seems like once you get good at something, it's out the door and there's a new one there. So you have to be very flexible, uh, and, and one of the things we speak about in the book is how to create that aura for the business where you can apply it to each social media aspect or whatever's new. You apply the aura of your business, your mission to things, not a new thing for every social media that comes out. Um, the other thing is what we were talking on a little bit before is that you have to double check your work. If you make one mistake today, everyone's going to be all over you and it, it's, it's okay to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, we give examples of the book of large companies that make major mistakes um, and they were so easy to fix if someone had just Googled the information, <laughs> uh, whether it's a misspelling or, or stereotyping. Had they taken the extra 60 seconds to Google and learn, it would have saved them 60 days of crisis of management. Of pain, of great pain. We're at break. 
uh, stay with us. We're talking to Lee Elias, and we're going to be talking a little bit more. He's, he's uh, talking about his predictions for work uh, going forward. Uh, biggest game changer is digital. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's, a, it's a bit daunting, actually, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, and then we're going to talk about what makes a good leader going forward from uh, Lee's perspective, who has a lot of great insights. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back shortly. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to iLead, the leadership connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #IleadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. With me is. Lee Elias, we're having a real lively discussion. I, you know, I'm, I'm just so impressed with the depth of uh, Lee's knowledge and capability. A, a really outstanding, um, just at the cusp of millennials. So we were talking about the biggest game changers, and Lee was talking about uh, digital and how quickly it's, it's changing things and getting information out there. And I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, which leads into the next question: What? Are, Millennials, what other game changers are you seeing out there? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, you know, it, it, one of the things about being my age is I was I was born in a very unique time. It was probably a five year period uh, in the early '80s where I remember growing up without a computer very well and growing up with a computer very well. Um, and again, the, the digital age sparked so quickly that there was only a small frame of time of people that uh, remember both very well. 
um, in terms of in, uh, being in their youth. So, you know, I, I get called a millennial sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm at the tail end of another generation. So I'm, I'm kind of in the hiatus between two of these generations. Right. Uh, I was also uh, born with parents much older than most parents of children my age. My parents were born in the 40s. So I've seen several generations, uh, whether it be mentors or friends or even below me. And one of the things about the millennials that I always hear is you get two opinions. One is that they're lazy or that they're the entitlement generation, um, that they, they have no attention span. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that's true, <laughs> to be fair. But what I'm seeing now is that the entrepreneurial spirit of these millennials is starting to show itself because they're coming of age. And you know, I got to tell you, Lee, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I, I, the ones that the millennials that I know are not lazy. What I'm totally impressed with is the thought processes that they have, that you guys have, and the ability to, to your point, be entrepreneurs and to really want to work for social good and change. Now, obviously, there's a bell curve here. So, you know, there's, there's, there's some that, you know, never bothered to educate themselves or never, never, and I don't mean formal education, uh, but you know, that exists in any generation. You know, Absolutely. there's duds in every in, that, in any generation, but the ones that I see that are applying themselves, I'm just blown away at, at, at the things that these people are doing, yourself included. No, so, I, well, I appreciate I that. that, that that's kind of where I was heading, is that a lot of yeah. these are just stereotypes. Right. Um, and that when you look at the millennial generation, it's very, uh, it has echoes of other generations, as you just said. And uh, I remember going up about the entitlement thing about, you know, I was told, you know, you guys just want it the way that you want it. And, you know, what's funny is now that we're, we're in this age, like I said, you have this entrepreneurial spirit that's building. And millennials aren't afraid to just go for something. They're not afraid to create businesses and they're not afraid to, to do what they want to do. Um, now, I was raised to have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, the people ahead of me that have worked in the experience that they have. Um, and, you know, that's something I'd like to see echoed a little bit more within this generation. But what they're doing and what they're able to create online, create businesses, write books, whatever they want to do, is really changing the game. And I'll go back to what we said in another segment. I think what's happening is uh, people are afraid of what they don't understand. And all of a sudden, there's this generation of, of young adults now that are not afraid, and they're going to go for it. And they're going to follow literally the American dream. Um, and they're making it happen. And that's one of the things about what the segment is about is you, you, we need to embrace that group. Uh, and that group needs to embrace the, the, the ones ahead of them, too, because I think cohesively, if they work together, uh, when you mix the experience with the energy, a lot of great things can happen. I um, totally agree, and that's that's really where I, I always say, you know, um, you know, people in, in my generation used to talk about diversity, and I'm like, oh, diversity—that's an artifact of the past. You know, <laughs> the fact is, it's always been diverse. It's how you embrace it. And what I love what you said is, you know, that now you don't see any boundaries. You know, you're not afraid, and I, I guess. There's something that I'd like to throw in there. You know, first of all, you probably had terrific parents. You probably do have terrific parents. Wonderful, but, wonderful parents. I love them very but, much. But the the younger people today, and one thing that has to be said about my generation, is in many cases we created the financial security where, you know, you could not be scared and not afraid because the the the, the education, the security was kind of there where it might not have been for people starting up and 
in, in my age, we were much more compliant. Didn't like it any better, but we were more compliant because we were more afraid of losing a job yeah. uh, than perhaps the generation now, which, frankly, I think is a good thing. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, that's it's one of those things. When, when I was in my early 20s in the workforce, I felt that way a lot of times. And it wasn't until I got... Uh, you know, about 10 years later, I realized, you know, I think I feel like I can do this. I feel like I can do this on my own with the resources at my disposal. Um, and like I said, you, you alluded to it with my parents. You know, my, my parents were born during World War II. So I was very much raised with that kind of uh, greatest generation mentality, even though they were raised by that generation. And when you put all that together, um, and like you said, you start to understand the, the concept of I can do it, you know, and you empower that. Some great things have started to happen. Um and, you know, like I said, I can understand for a business owner who's been around for 30, 40, 50 years how that can be terrifying <laughs> because right. it's a, it, it can come across as a threat at first glance. But as we said, you want to embrace these people. You want to embrace that energy because that's, you know, again, this sounds very patriotic, but that is really what our country is about is the ability to, to see that and you can do what you want to do and you have the resources to do what you want to do and then make it happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have nothing uh, against being patriotic. In fact, I, I kind of like that, and I wish we had a little bit more of that in this country. And that could lead me into a whole other discussion, which no, we're not going to have. I totally agree with you, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that could be dangerous. But yeah. um, what, what do you think makes a good leader today? And what, what do you think leaders need to think about to be great, to, to kind of pull together this collaboration, this you know environment that you're talking about? Well, you know, I think with leadership, it's first people have to realize that there's a lot of leaders out there, but there's not a lot of great leaders. And when I look at a great leader, it, it, it comes down to a few factors. One is the communication aspect. Um, it's Being a leader doesn't mean you know more or that you're better than. Being a leader means that you're, you're leading other people. And clear, concise communication, both two-way communication, not just one way, is, is vital to making that succeed. I mean, it, it almost echoes some of the things in the book. You know, if you're not speaking with the people that you're leading, how, 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 why would they follow you? Um, you know, we always say that we don't want people just to have this as a job. We want it to have it as a career. And we don't want people that we work for to think they're just doing a job. We want them to feel like they're part of our mission, that they believe in it. Um, you know, if your employees don't believe in what you're doing, why would anybody else? And if you don't inspire your employees to believe in your goals and your mission, how are you going to inspire anybody outside of your organization? So that's from a business point of view. I mean, from a, from a general leadership point of view, you know, I think it's so important you get to know the people. Um, you know, you can create a hierarchy within an organization or a leadership situation where people understand that you are the leader but still have a communication uh, or I'm sorry, a relationship with those people that's conducive to the workplace. Um, you know, I nope. think you've hit a, a, a key thing. I mean, everybody says, oh, we're in this digital era and, you know, everybody's communicating and texting and, uh, you know, there's no personal connection. Well, it just so happens that people really do want that personal connection, that relationship. And that's to miss that point is a big flaw, I think. Yeah, well, you know, we, we talk about sometimes introverts, extroverts, and the truth is that uh, I respect both those methods of thinking, but uh, as a species, we, 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 we thrive on connections, um, mm -hmm. whether that be your family or your friends or beyond. 
And if you create that type of environment where people are, are having fun, but they know that they have a job to do, you're going to get more out of those people. Um, you know, with my employees, I am in constant contact with them, probably to the point some of them get annoyed, but they'd rather have that than me just give them uh, orders. You know, a, a, like a real small example is, that I think a lot of leaders make this mistake is I never start a conversation out with business. It's, hey, how are you doing? Or how's your ch- kids doing? I start a conversation with them and I actually speak with them about it for a few minutes prior to going into any type of business. Uh, if they're having, if they're having problems, I might not even go into the business that day because I actually do care about these people. I mean, these people are, are, are are with me. And again, what I find most times is they want to talk to me about the business because they believe in the mission that we're pushing. They believe in what we're trying to provide. Um, and it becomes again, a conversation I, I do make sure – I have to say this because it's true of leadership. They are all very aware that if you're working for me, they know that I am uh, – you know, they would never call me a boss, I don't think, not to my face at least. But you know, they know that I am in charge. You ought to check that out, decisions. Lee. You ought to find out. You ought to ask them. Yeah, I, might, I might one day. I mean I, I think part of the reason we have success is because I, I try not to take that approach. But right. it's – you know, we, we just we just have conversations, and and I do care about the people that work for me the best that I can. And and if it's not me, you know, if it's a larger organization, you should be encouraging your managers to take the same position. Yeah, I, you know, I what it sounds like is uh, treat your employees as fans and take that same principle and apply it to your employee workforce. And I, th- I think when you do that. You know, you do engender that loyalty and that, that brand where people are going to line up for you, which is what you want. Absolutely. So uh, tell me a little bit about the seven, uh, the Game 7 group and its purpose in the marketplace. And we're, we're, we don't have a lot of time for this question, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll try and be brief. The, the Game 7 group is a company, a consultancy that I created that has a dual purpose of helping business organizations but also sports organizations find what their win is, whether that be in the marketplace to become a better organization, to, to reach out, find fans, and grow revenue, or on the sports side to literally win sporting games because we apply a lot of these leadership concepts uh, to help teams find an identity. And what you get at the end is the merging of those two worlds, the sports management world and the business management world, in my mind, work very well together. And we, we apply those tactics to help Companies, as I said, find whatever their win is, revenue, winning games, uh, growing an organization. And that's what we do. We, we tap organizations. We, we go in. Uh, we have interviews with them. We learn more about their organization and help them, help them find a way to succeed. Yeah, well, that's, that's uh, really terrific. We are coming up on a break. Uh, we'll be back. We have a couple of really additional great questions to ask Lee Elias. Uh, and a question came in, uh, was uh, emailed in uh, from the field uh, that we'd like to have you answer, sure. which is, and I'll give you the break to think about it, Lee, uh, what's the biggest leadership challenge that you face going mm-hmm. forward? So stay with us. We're talking to Lee Elias. We're having a great conversation, how to think like a fan, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his new book coming out and answer the question, what is the biggest leadership challenge from your perspective?
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #ILeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and with me today is Lee Elias. We're having a great conversation about the digital age, frankly, and millennials and how you can really make have people think like fans by really engaging them, not treating them as uh, treat, treating them as not somebody you're marketing to, but treating them as somebody that you like to hear from, you'd like to engage with. So, Lee, a question came in from, uh, was just emailed in from um, someone, and they wanted to know what you see as your biggest leadership challenge. You know, I'll tell you what, I've just been through it uh, in the last couple of years, and I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that quickly, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is moving forward. But um, one of the things I also do is I'm a professional hockey coach, and I wanted to find a role with the team where I was in an associate role. Um, and the reason why is because I, I have always been in leadership positions for the majority of my adulthood. Um, and I realized that I had not had to follow anybody for quite some time. Um, and I realized that to become a better leader, better business owner, better coach, whatever you want to put in there, I had to learn how, how to be led, if that makes sense. Um, and so I was hired by the Peterborough Phantoms, the, the ice hockey team I was speaking about before, as an associate coach. 
And the coach, the head coach we have is phenomenal. His, his name is Slava Kulikov. He's one of the best coaches I've ever worked for. But I remember that the challenge for me was I was in a position where I was not the voice in the room, the main voice. And I was not the person who was leading everything. And I was very much in this assistant role. And I had to learn how to control myself in certain situations. And I had to learn how to take the lead from somebody else and trust in somebody else. Um, I mean, and the results have been wonderful. We won a championship last year. We're in first place now. But to learn how to be in an associate role has made me a much better leader because I can see it from two different directions. And I think one of the largest mistakes that I made, which I'm not afraid to admit, is that when I was a leader in a younger age, I was far too overbearing. I was not conscious enough of the people I was leaving, uh, leading excuse me, from their point of view. Um, so that, that has been by far one of the biggest learning experiences uh, for me over the last few years, um, excluding obviously um, failures in my life, which I've made plenty. Uh, and any great leader will tell you that the failures are what make you a better leader, uh, not the triumphs. Well, I um, must be great because I've had a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you learn. Failure to me is a opportunity to learn. Um, yep. And in no way am I saying that uh, oh, failure is wonderful, and I love it when it happens. No, I mean, I hate failing, but I, I recognize failure as I have to learn from this um, and move forward from this. And th that's one of the abilities that I also think makes a great leader, going back to our last segment. Um, yeah. Moving on from what I just talked about, by far the greatest challenge for me moving forward is, is we have the two-year-old son, uh, my family is growing, and I, I have to uh, continually balance time between being a coach, being a leader, being a business owner, being an author, and my family, which comes first with all of that. So uh, time management has become a very uh, big project of mine over the last uh, two years. <laughs> and I'm sure as, as the family grows, it will become even harder. So I have, a, I have a suggestion for you. Get a hold of Corey Kogan's new book, which is called Five Choices. Uh, she's been on right the now. show. You can listen to her show, show too, because I think it's one of the best ways to get to help prioritize what it is that you want to do. Absolutely. Right, I just wrote it down. There you go. <laughs> yeah, write it down. So uh, final word here, Lee. Um, tell me about your new book. Sure. My, my next book is called Win. Uh, and what Win is about is how to create a championship culture within sports teams. Uh, a lot of the concepts can be applied to business but this book is, is more specifically for uh, sports organizations. And what we've found uh, is, is this, that, again, you can apply this to business. There, there are three things that you must have in order to be a championship caliber team slash organization. And the first two are things that everybody knows. It's tactics and talent. Uh, everybody knows that to win, you have to have good tactics and good talent. And what I find uh, a lot of coaches – uh, make this mistake is that they don't realize that there's a third thing that is just as important as those other two. And that's to create a team bond, to create an impenetrable bond family atmosphere in which every person in that locker room believes in each other and that they have an understanding of trust. They have an understanding of how to communicate. They have an understanding of, of how to win and lose together. They have an identity. They have a foundation. They know what they're playing for. If you don't establish this, you simply will not win. Uh, and any professional, amateur, collegiate athlete, uh, or really 
business owner that's been part of a successful organization will tell you that 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 when they won, when they have won in the past, oh, that was the closest knit group I've ever been on. Or you hear that 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 I still talk to these guys. I live with these guys. That's my right. family. And the book is about how to create that championship aura of the bond, as I call it, that will help you push forward and win. What I what I wanted to say, Lee, is I can't wait to get that book. When is it going to be out? Uh, we're looking to have it out probably second quarter of 2016. Uh, we're, we're actually, you know, when I was writing it, I was writing sports stories to coincide with the chapters, and I realized, why am I writing this? As much as I love writing them, we wanted to reach out to uh, other people uh, uh, in the sports world and the business world to write. I'm not at liberty to say who just yet, but we're going to have a lot of guest writers on this book as well about their experiences in the locker room and how that's made them find success. If I might, uh, if I might tell you, um, get a hold of Jason Carson. He's been on the show too, and sure. uh, he was an NFL uh, player with the uh, New England Patriots, and he's got some great stories to tell. So I highly recommend that you you talk to him. Lee, it's just been a pleasure having you on the show. I've just really enjoyed the conversation. I just, I wish you were my kid. I tell you, that's you're very, very <laughs> I impressive. That. That means a lot. My parents will be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So that, that it's really been terrific. And um, let me know when the book is out. Please send me a copy, and we'll have you back on the show. It's a topic I that I absolutely love. Is uh, or, is organizational culture? I think it's key to anybody's success. So. Um, our next shows will be Jim Ludema, and I'm very excited to have Jim on the show. He is the director of the Center for Creative Leadership. Uh, no, sorry, excuse me. I just don't know why I said that. He's the director of the Center for Values-Driven Leadership at Benedictine University. And there was a time where values, you know, were were just platitudes on the wall and you know they still are in in, in a large degree and uh, but it's my belief that values when done correctly are really going to be the cornerstone of any great organization going forward that you really have to have a clear sense of purpose and i think lee was talking about some of that um you have to have a clear sense of purpose you have to have a clear sense of values and, and what you're all about. And do you really believe in your people? And if you really do, you've got to show that in your behaviors every single day. And Jim and I are spending a lot of time talking about that and specifically how you do that and how you create organizations that really exemplify the values of what you're trying to live. So looking forward to being a great show. And then uh, the week after that, I have Roland Sullivan coming on, and we're going to be talking about what he sees in the world of work from a global perspective. As you probably know, I have written a book on winning with transglobal leadership, among others. But it really looks at what leaders have to think about and do to be really successful in the global world. So I hope you'll get a copy of it. If you'd like to get a hold of me, please do so. I very much uh, do a lot of speaking and would be very interested in talking about some of the issues that you hear on the show at your off-sites. So thank you for being with me. Hope your New Year's has started out uh, great, and let's make it a phenomenal year, 2016, the year of being a fan in the workplace.
Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.